Welcome to the Catalyst Podcast. This episode entitled, What Does It Look Like to Ponder, was given on December 23rd, 2018 by Bethany Shea in the series, Advent People. Luke 2, 15 to 20. It says, when the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning him, what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. Does somebody else have another version they can read? I know we have a lot of NIV here, but somebody else have a different version they brought? Silas, do you mind reading that same passage again? Um, it's not super different. ESV, but... It's great. Thank you. Anybody else have another version? You got your Amplified Bible over there? 15 to 20. Yeah. up from just even hearing that read three times anything that might be I mean it's a it's it's an old old story that we've heard over 2,000 years and and yet there still could be something new and fresh that comes about anything that is popping up to the surface yeah Karen the visual of an innocent baby an innocent baby yeah very cold dark stinky place yeah yeah totally that's good the second second reading Mm-hmm. Uh, they, they searched for the baby. Yeah. It says here they found it. Um, no star. No star. No star. Yeah. There's no spotlight. No. They had to search around. Yeah. It was not a, oh, obviously, here he is. Right. Right. And, you know, it, it, what we hear about in the story is that, at the, that this baby is born in a stable, and stables were traditionally underneath people's homes. It was the bottom half of a person's home. So, I mean, they had to look in a lot of different homes, knocking on a lot of different stable doors and going in and seeing 
is there a baby in this manger? What about this next manger? Like that's, yeah. It's not just a hop, skip, and a jump like we always think. Any other thoughts? No wise men. No wise men. <laughs> they came later. <laughs> God proved it to them. They mm. heard it. They saw it. Yeah. And before that, before they heard it and they saw it, the angel told them specifically what they were here to see. Right. So uh, just as they had been told. Yeah. Yeah, this, this level of grace that came from God to tell them something and then they could actually see it for themselves and believe it to be true. Yeah. Um, so what I have for us today is something I wrote a few years ago. If you've been a part of the community, you may have heard it once or twice before, once before. Um, but I felt like it was important to share again and... Um, especially since tomorrow's Christmas Eve, so I'll be preparing a sermon for tomorrow, so I figured why not bring out an oldie but a goodie. (laughs) So um, I want you to close your eyes, if you don't mind. And I want you to picture a nativity scene. And maybe it's the one in the narthex that you saw in the church when you came in, or maybe it's one that you've seen on TV. Maybe it's your own nativity scene at home, that that one that's tucked nicely into a cozy barn and surrounded by warm lights on your mantle or on your hutch. The one with the golden outlining or the serene appearance. The baby lying in the manger and his parents standing or kneeling chastely beside it. All right, you guys can open your eyes. Do you all have one? You all have a picture of that nativity scene? It's not real. <laughs> it's not real, you guys. It's not. Like what, what we see in the narthex here, that's not real life. Um, babies aren't just happy to be lying in a manger and not being warm next to their mothers. It's, it's, it's a beautiful picture, and I think it gets us into that Christmas spirit, but it's not real life. It's not real life. And most pastors and priests are men, which is awesome. Uh, But when they tell of the messy story of that day, that story that uh, has forever defined our lives, even if we don't think so, it has forever defined our lives. Oftentimes they will talk about the dirty stable or the smells and the animals surrounding the birth. Um, They'll talk about the rude innkeeper or the beauty and the reverence of the birth of the Christ child. And all of those aspects are so important to the story. I mean, we could, this story has been told over the years from every different angle because it never gets old. But oftentimes, men can miss the realness of the day, of this Christmas day, because men don't give birth. And men who have been with their partners, when their partners have given birth, there's, there's definitely more of an understanding of the messiness of it and, and the frightening reality that childbirth is. If you've been in a hospital when your partner's having a baby, you wonder if they're going to make it. It looks really, really scary. But try as they might, there might be a disconnect because men don't give birth. And so there's a, there's a different reality that oftentimes women can step into. And most of you already know, I too have never given birth. I have three kids. They are all adopted. I wish 
that I had given birth to them in so many ways, but I, I cherish their stories of origin and I cherish their birth families so desperately. And so sometimes I look at this story and I think perhaps I'm not the best person to tell the story either because I don't have the same kind of experience or the, the same kind of, of education to share this story. But I'm going to give it a try of this Christmas story. A dear friend of mine was pregnant with her third baby, and as she neared the end of her pregnancy, she was she, she called me and she asked if I could be there to help with the, the birthing process and also uh, take care of her two other kids and just be there as a source of comfort and strength for her. And so I arrived at her house. She called me. She's like, it's happening. And I drove over to her house, and, and I went inside of her home because she was having a home birth. And when I arrived, the birthing tub was like kind of puzzled in between the couch and the fireplace. The room was lit with candles and the curtains were drawn. It was like that kind of dark, sweet sort of a space. Uh, The room was warm, but not too warm. And the room was quiet and it was still. And in the midst of overwhelming pain through each contraction, The room was surrounded by peace. It just felt peaceful in this place. And she had three experienced midwives with her. They were gently and softly coaching her through each pressure-filled contraction. They were speaking grace and peace over her. Her husband knelt beside the tub. He was there the entire time, like giving her icy cold beverages and and ginger beer to help with the the queasiness and offering her kind words filled with awe and, and, and beauty and love over her, just speaking truth of who she is and what she's capable of the whole time. He was like the exact kind of support of team that she needed in those moments. And when the, the, the time came for her to do what her body was created to do, she pushed and she pushed and she stopped and breathed and moaned and pushed and I could see the baby crowning and she pushed harder and and in that moment I experienced this deep longing in myself of being a part of something that I would love to do but will never be able to do. But a deeper thing happened in that moment. It wasn't the sense of regret or sadness or anything that overtook. It was a sense that I saw something so unreal. I saw this like deeper reality that I hadn't seen clearly before. And in this moment of that deeper reality, what I saw was this blending of heaven and earth. Like I saw the lines between heaven, like the sacred and the holy and the heavenly mingle with this raw and earthly connected in this place where I couldn't tell them apart anymore. It was this this, this totally miraculous experience that wasn't some sort of clinical thing that a woman just goes through. It's like heaven and earth blended together. And as she pushed this life out of her body that her body had been sustaining and growing these past 10 months, we just waited. We waited. We anticipated that deep throaty cry, that cry that tells you that your baby is okay. And I saw in the midst of that moment, in the midst of that waiting moment where the baby was born and it hadn't quite cried yet, I could see this like messy life being born process 
truly is. Because while pregnancy is this beautiful thing, and yes, there's this glowing over this this sense of glowing beauty that happens to a woman, what happens also is that there's a lot of achy muscles and a lot of sore backs and a lot of sleepless nights because of a huge belly that's just in your way all of the time. And then you go to this birthing process and you give birth and it's messy. Because when women give birth, sometimes they find out that their baby was stillborn. Sometimes they find out that their baby was born with cystic fibrosis or half a heart or your baby is healthy or your baby is sick or your baby isn't breathing. Your baby is still perfect in all of those places, but yet it is frightening in those moments. And all of this waiting and hoping to hear that deep, loud, healthy cry of your sweet child who just came from you. At that moment, we can understand a bit of the anxiety and the pain and the fear and the loneliness and the innate that Mary may have been feeling. Mary was considered a whore by her people (laughs) because she was pregnant out of wedlock. The Bible puts it nicely for us when we read that there was no room in an inn for her. There was no space for her because that was absurd. It was unheard of. Even if there was physically no room for them, not one ounce of space available in anybody's home, Anyone in that culture would have made space for a family member who was about to give birth to a child. They would have kicked out Aunt Janine to make space for Mary. It would have made absolute sense for them. It wouldn't have even crossed their mind any different. But she was a shameful mark on their highly religious ways of living and keeping up with their godly appearances. And so they said no. And we aren't sure how many homes that Mary and Joseph walked by, knocking on those doors, pleading their case before them. Joseph turning and pointing at Mary, saying, please help us. We are so desperate. Anything you have, we'll take anything you have. And again and again, the doors shut in their face. And I wonder if Mary is maybe even starting with contractions. Maybe labor has actually begun. But eventually they get to this last house, this innkeeper, a man. He saw Mary and took enough pity on her to offer his damp, dark cave of a stable underneath his home. And I can imagine Mary turning to Joseph and just like saying with desperation in her face, yes, yes, we'll take it. We'll take it. We'll take anything. Thank you so much. And I can imagine her reaching down and feeling What's happening? Her eyes widening with fear. She feels the inevitable. She feels this life that her body has created and it's making its way down the birth canal. Do you think she was feeling pleased? Or hopeful? Or worthy in that moment to give birth to God's son, to give birth to the Messiah? in a busy street with people passing by? Do you think she was excited to finally give birth to this child 
that's supposed to be the hope of the world while people are passing her by and she's in a gutter? There's something called mom guilt out there. And if you're not a mom, you don't necessarily experience this in the same way. But there is this reality that if we aren't doing enough as mothers, based on Pinterest or society or our mother-in-laws or whoever it is, (laughs) we get the sense that we're failing our kids in some way or that everybody else sees that we're failing them. And I wonder if for Mary, if that sense of mom guilt hit her pretty hard right there not being able to prepare a place for her child to be born, not feeling like she'd ever be able to measure up, feeling like a failure right off the bat. But with her legs shut tight, leaning against the man that God gave her to be who she needed him to be, this man who was incredibly selfless, incredibly kind, incredibly present to this woman who was bearing a child that was not his own DNA. They, they make their way down into this cave under the house, away from the lamps burning in people's homes, away from the Christmas trees and everything that looks cheery and hopeful and good in every single home. And they make their way into this space where there's no doctors and no midwives, where her mother isn't even present into a place of solitary loneliness. And she crouches down, opening herself up to allow her body to experience what God had created her to do. And she allowed God in that moment to wipe away any guilt or shame, to wipe away all of that. And in those moments, she pushed and she grew faint and she moaned and she sweated and she pushed and with blood and water and feces and tearing and excruciating pain mixed with peace and rightness and beauty and hope, the Christ child was born. And a deep, loud scream pierced the night sky, a scream that brought, I'm sure, uncontrollable laughter and tears and hope and all things would be made right. Like in that moment, they were like, and it was an old, it was its own, it is finished type of moment. It is finished in the beginning. It is finished in the end. The holy and the heavenly, that line that separates the raw and the earthly, that sense that says, oh, heaven is so far from here. If we could only get to heaven, what a day of rejoicing that will be. That was blurred from that moment on through a birth canal, through a birth canal. That God in flesh who who dwelt among God's very created who humbled God's self, started life through the pain and the trauma and the beauty and the messiness of birth. Birth that many women have experienced pushing out and sustaining life. There's an author by the name of Sarah Bessie, and she writes, Women can tell this part of the story this Christmas, the glimpse behind the veil, the life lived in the in-between stuff of God. She writes, there's a story on your lips, isn't there, Mama? 
of how you saw the face of God in the midst of fear or pain or joy and understood, really understood Mary, not kneeling chastely beside a clean manger, refraining from touching her babe just moments after birth, but instead sore and exhilarated, weary, and pressing a sleepy, wrinkled, newborn baby to her breasts, treasuring every moment in her heart, marveling not only at his very presence, but at her own strength. How surrender and letting go is true work, tucking every sight and smell and smack of his lips into her own morrow. God incarnate, word made flesh, born of a woman and the Holy Spirit. Christmas Eve is tomorrow. (laughs) Today's Christmas Eve Eve. (laughs) And while we can't be transported to that time and place where Mary pushed out hope, I believe that we can make room for hope to be born again in our own lives. Just as childbirth is messy and painful, new birth in our lives is often born from a place of messy and painful circumstances where it just feels like life is unraveling around you and you're like, Lord, if you do not make yourself known to me, if my attention isn't placed on you, I don't know if I'm going to survive this. So what do you feel needs to be born again in your own life. This this season of Christmas, Christmas is, right now we're in Advent, Advent ends tomorrow, and then Christmas actually starts. In the life of the church, in the season of the church, Advent is these four weeks, even though we decorate for Christmas. Christmas begins Christmas Day and lasts for like three or four weeks afterwards. So as we step into this Christmas season, not this Christmas day, what needs to be reborn in your own life? And maybe it's one of the four classic words that we usually use with the Advent wreath, the hope, love, joy, peace. Maybe, maybe literal peace needs to be reborn in your life. Maybe you're in a place where you are like unable to experience God's joy and you're just like, Jesus, I need your joy so desperately because I cannot get out of this funk. Or maybe the four words that we're using for Advent this year, the, the, the hope that comes from that silence and listening like Zechariah where his voice was gone. Or maybe you need to have a rebirth of of surrender and release to God. Maybe you're so insulated and keeping yourself so protected because you're afraid of what God will breathe into you again. So maybe it's some of those walls need to be torn down to believe that God can make impossible situations into a possibility. Maybe the word of surprise, where God calls the unlikely and unfit, you and me. (laughs) Maybe the word is comfort, like we looked at last week, where the God who hears the cry of the oppressed and the suffering, where Herod came in and killed, and God comes in and makes a new way. So why don't you take a minute here of silence and be in a space of prayer. Ask the Lord, what needs to be reborn in you? What needs to 
break forth from a messy and painful circumstance. For me, uh, one of the things that um, that I feel like God has placed in me over Advent and what I want to see continue forth is, is that belief of the impossible becoming possible. I feel like sometimes for me with parenting, it feels impossible to like raise my kids in the ways of Jesus and to ex- have them experience the love of Christ. Like that, that's. My only prayer, my only prayer is not that they'll be successful or anything like that. My only prayer is that for them to, to, to know how loved they are by God. That's it. Everything else will come forth from that. For them to receive that. And, I, and sometimes I feel like that's an impossibility. But I've been believing it. I've been sitting in that space. I've been praying that that is a possibility that breaks forth not only in my own life, but in my children's lives. What is being reborn in your lives? If anybody wants to share the kind of rebirth that you're praying towards. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks, Monica. Anybody else? I encourage you all just to sit in that space, especially the rest of this day. See what it is that God is being rebirthing in you. What, it, what, God, what is God breathing life back into you with? So as we go into our time of communion which we get to celebrate the Lord's Supper every week.
Uh, my hope for us is that we can begin to see that line that, se- that separates the earthly from the heavenly blurred. And a lot of times that looks like childbirth. It looks like child rearing. It looks like community. Sometimes it looks like literally giving somebody a meal who is starving. Sometimes in those spaces of where somebody has felt rejected or unseen or ignored by society, when you see them, that is a blurring. That is bringing heaven to earth in those moments. And so perhaps that is where God is calling you to have a rebirth. Who has been unseen in your own family, in your own friendships, those who are living on the streets, those who are rejected by church and society, who are the unseen where you get to blur heaven and earth a little bit? And in that process, God blurs us. God makes us all, all renewed as well. Oftentimes, Advent is a season of waiting. And I think in that sense of waiting, it can feel like things are overwhelming, that, that we get the sense of, There's too many hurts or too much pain or too much anger or sickness and tears and death and messiness and and no easy answers in that sense of waiting. But there is a hope that is breaking forth in the world. A light is coming, has come, and we just get to pay even more attention to the light of Christ on Christmas. Jesus Christ is the one who transforms our lives, who transforms this world who makes things that seem messy and overwhelming and impossible become beautiful and worthy and valuable. And so I hope for us that we have this rebirth of hope and and, and comfort and this desire for God with us in all things, but especially as we come into this space of Christmas. Thanks for listening to this podcast. For more information about ways that you can be involved with Catalyst, please visit our website at provokechange.org. Until next time, continue loving God, loving our neighbors, and loving each other.